open up your forehead wide because it's V'ger, please. A hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I was going to say, I'm just a dirty, space-scavenging org cannibal, but... What? I said open your forehead uh, up wide. I mean, come on. That's pretty clever. Redeeming. You're being imperfect, Joe. <laughs> was it... So you're telling me my intro just wasn't good enough to even register. It's Man. Rough. We're off to a rough start. <laughs> Speaking of imperfect, Season 7, Episode 2, Imperfection. Oh, man, I'm gonna. Are you gonna tell me you didn't like this? Are you gonna do that to me? Cause I I love this episode. I still did. I really enjoyed rewatching it. This is a good one. Um, oh, thank God. I'm this relieved. is certainly. You're watching two episodes when you watch this because you're seeing what they wanted you to see, and then you're seeing what they made you see in Picard. So there's a lot of cause and effect here. True that you are looking at it entirely through a very unique lens which is you were spoiled on this because of the worst possible thing and and, and maybe my can my firm affection for it is that I, I don't really i can put that out of my mind like i can just ignore that picard ever happened and appreciate this episode for what it is uh, but i'm looking forward to uh discussing maybe we'll do this at the end of how how picard makes this whole thing feel um which is to say not good but the implications the implications, the implications. Well, maybe we'll go through the whole dennis you know strategy <laughs> while we're at it uh before we get any deeper in this i wanted to wish you a happy summer steam sale we're here on uh june 24th day one of the the old steam uh summer sale and uh, i'm getting ready to pick some stuff up we got some sales floating around some other stuff and i see the starfleet uh bridge crew for the oculus calling my name so hell yeah man i uh, i'm into it for 13 dollars so far uh it was my amuse bouche uh the, today on the steam summer sale i bought uh, uh i hadn't bought BattleTech, and so i'd always intended to pick it up but it was like one of those things where it's like i don't know you know it's like 30 dollars you know it's kind of short i'll wait till it's on sale it was like 10 bucks a week all right now's the time now's and, the time this and then the i way. and then i bought uh the enhanced edition of Baldur's gate which the uh, new one or the old one it's the Baldur's gate one but the enhanced edition that they did maybe like five years ago where they they made it run a lot cleaner on modern computers uh, it's probably one of my all-time favorite games ever. It's the original Boulder's Gate using the the uh, uh, advanced Dungeons and Dragons rules, second ed Dungeons and Dragons rules. Thaco. With Thaco, yeah, Yeesh. where you uh, where you just sit there and keep rolling your ability scores until you get an eighteen uh, ninety uh, strength or better, and just face roll the entire first three chapters of the game. What a great use of your life! Hey, listen so many memories came rushing back also i'm pretty sure i still own my original uh boulders gate uh instruction guide which was a whole it which contained a whole in-universe explanation of uh the boulders gate like the sword coast area as written by like forgotten realms characters in it that's pretty cool it was really like people don't know that in the late 90s early 2000s 
the nerds that were making these games of like Microprose and and Sierra and that yeah. sort of thing were super nerds. And so they made these tomes as instruction manuals that are just unparalleled <laughs> to, to anything you might have encountered later that uh, that served as almost like genre documents, like the Starfleet Command game. The original Starfleet Command game had a, a, a super long manual that listed like every like possible class and configuration of each kind of star cruiser that you can Even have for the each Super Empire. Nintendo game uh booklet was pretty beefy on that and to tie that into to voyager you know we're looking at episodes now this one's going to be october 11th 2000 but the majority of the voyager stuff that we've watched has gone kind of right through that golden age of pc gaming when you you know you'd buy this stuff and they're like you said you're getting like hard spine books like uh i remember the tie fighter stuff came with some really cool things Mm -hmm. Uh, and just a lot of a lot of care and work, and it's funny to contrast that to a lot of these Voyager episodes where they cut so many corners, and it's like, man, you, you guys should be nerds. You should know about the stuff we're harping on here, and you're just letting so much fly and slide. So, different ends of the spectrum uh, on entertainment, I suppose. So this episode starts with the departure that. Um... I guess you will mourn more than you anticipated, which is yeah. most of the Borg children are leaving. Did not see that coming at all, especially with as much time, uh, screen time as they had been giving uh, Manzati, right? Yeah, Manzati. Much to my chagrin, little Wildman wasn't in there, because if we're going to be sending kids off the ship, <laughs> I would have loved for her to be at the front of the line but instead we're getting rid of the good little girl the twins were throwaways i I didn't care about the twins but uh the girl very very surprising to see her off was that even her alien species that they like dumped her on because the twins seemed like they were different than her yeah so the the people they found were the same species as the twins but they just agreed to take a mazadi as well just so that uh she could not be paid by the voyager producers anymore you know and it is a real shame real missed opportunity they could have had them all beam out and then you know naomi wildman comes in and it's like okay it's time for you to go too she gets on the transporter pad it's like oh am i going to the ship and jane says nope and then just beams her into space and you see her see her body float out there next to harry kim's (laughs) and then she could get picked up by the necrons yeah, that's from right. Ashes to ashes, or she could, could be come Lindsay back. Pollard's little sister now. Yeah, yeah, but so many, uh, yeah, so many opportunities missed. Big surprise that they they offloaded her. I thought the new ship, uh, for whatever the friendly alien species taking the kids off their hands, pretty neat looking design. It's kind of like a flying sea. Yeah, it it was one of those cool moments where they put a lot of time into something that's on screen for ten seconds. They've done that a few times. And uh, so there, there's a nice little farewell there uh, where particularly Mazzotti says goodbye to Icheb, who's staying, um, who we've established can't go home because his parents tried to put, send him back to the Borg. So he's got to stay on Voyager. And, um, you know, she she says that, you know, I'll have difficulty adapting to your absence. And Icheb, who's obviously has more emotional maturity, says, I'll miss you, too. <laughs> and uh, Mazzotti... Seven of Nine's crazy conspiracy theory 
uh, motherly instinct in all of this. You know, she she refused to let Icheb go, but here she is just shooing these other three kids out the airlock. Like, well, that's the episode we didn't see on screen, right? Like, there was an entire episode about them having to go through this seven of nine inquisition to prove that they weren't bioterrorists. But we've already seen that episode like once. They didn't feel like they had to show that to us. It would have been great if they had like panned over and it's like a three of the other members of the race and they're all like beat up. <laughs> like, they all got worked over in some sort of interrogation chair. Maybe they got sent down to engineering while seven of nine just went on another shooting rampage. That was like a test. So they're saying their goodbyes and uh, seven of nine is a little too into the goodbye and ends up with a tear rolling down her cheek, but it's not there out of sweetness. Um, it is some foreshadowing that there's problems on the horizon. So the, they set up that he's, she's having an emotional moment because all the kids hug her before they leave. And she's talking about deactivating their, their uh, alcoves with Egypt. who's like, well, this seems a little too soon. Can we some time, get some distance? And uh, she seems disinterested, but Egypt points out that she's crying. When they, when they come back to the episode, because that was the whole teaser, uh, you've got Seven in sickbay talking to the doctor, and the doctor's doing the usual, oh, you just have an emotion, Seven. What's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with it's that. It's just dreams. You're dreaming now. Every time he says this, Lots he of is misdiagnoses. wrong. Yeah, he is that's... terrible at diagnosing Seven of Nine accurately. But at least this time it gets cleaned up literally in the same scene. Because he goes and checks the computer and goes, oh wait, no, you're right. Your, your shit's all broke. Sorry. I'll listen to you, you know, this time. And that sets up really the entire episode, which is uh, Seven of Nine's cortical node which is established in this episode to be the regulator of all of the Borg implants that regulate her biological systems is failing. They use the cheap Hong Kong parts, not the good domestic stuff. I don't know. Like, isn't the cheap parts now like Vietnam? Wouldn't Hong Kong parts actually be more expensive? Well, we're talking about the early 2000s here. Okay, fair. It's interesting that she's having this failure, given that she seemed to be a higher ranked Borg that should have had better parts. But, you know, th this is the vehicle that we're going to tell the story with. So you've got two things going on. One is Seven of Nine body is falling apart. And two is Seven of Nine doing everything within her power to downplay it and try to hide it from the rest of the crew. She invokes some client patient confidentiality to forbid the doctor from bringing it to Janeway's attention. And off she goes about her merry way to slowly fall apart in other places in the ship. The strength of this episode is combining a very real world impulse that people very much have when confronting terminal illness, uh, which is to deny it, to try and hide it, and then to eventually struggle with accepting their fate all of which, if you have ever endured these things on your own or had loved ones who had, it's not a far stretch to kind of see where they were going with this. And then secondarily, the strength of Jerry Ryan in trying to portray someone who has still developing emotional capacity and how they are dealing with this process. And then, of course, we pivot near the end towards a solution 
uh, that's much more specific to Seven of Nine as a character and their growth, and as well as Icheb. Um, I know that the actor who plays Icheb is a persona non grata, but he does an excellent job in this episode. Extremely strong, particularly towards the end. He's been serviceable. He's been perfectly fine so far. Nothing he's done really has stood out. This stood out as as a good performance on his part. Which is impressive because his wardrobe of hip-hop camouflage outfits is growing. He is like the uh, least exciting uh, member of Criss Cross (laughs) in his outfits. You know what I mean? This is the spirit of uh, season one and two living on where you just, you can't get civilian clothes that look okay Janeway had that one cool white pantsuit thing yeah and that was it (laughs) that was the only good civilian clothes the later seasons of Voyager there was a lot of good civilian clothes um Paris and uh Kim had an off-duty it might have been when Janeway was playing the blue ball guitar yeah the the secret one of the many secret nazi groups to come on the ship that was the secret was, nazi group that Bolana got in Bolana's like, sexy dreams yeah yeah mm-hmm. when they were burning with senator kelly yes yeah. yeah uh those those look good the later seasons they started doing a good job making the civilian stuff look good that's why i'm saying this is a throwback to the season one season two where just anything civilian was atrocious your b plot here is each wants to get into starfleet which, as soon as you see him looking at the Starfleet uh, Academy entrance exam, like, zips you right back forward into Picard, right? Well, here's a good spot to start talking about that. This episode's uh, emotional strength is essentially shattered by the first two minutes of one of the worst episodes of Picard. If for some reason you haven't watched Picard... Don't listen for the next few minutes and also never watch it. You've done well. Live that life. Live that dream. But if you don't, if you haven't watched Picard and you don't care to be spoiled or you have watched it and you know what we're talking about. Mid-season of Picard, uh, when they reintroduce Seven of Nine, uh, they do so through a flashback where Icheb, played by a different actor, is on a gurney being operated on slash dismembered by an evil doctor who is looking for saleable Borg parts out of each hip and specifically is trying to find his cortical node to salvage, but cannot find one main plot point in this episode is that the reason he does not have one is because he gives it to seven of nine so to allow his biology to instead reassert itself and regulate his uh, Borg implants because he's younger, he emerged from his maturation chamber early, so he has more like bandwidth to be able to adjust to having a more normal biology than Seven of Nine, who, you know, was well into her adulthood before she was deborged. Anyway, there's so much emotional strength in this episode, particularly in the bond between Seven and Icheb, right? Like that's the core of this episode is is you know Icheb is really starting to connect with Starfleet with the Starfleet ideal to help others to sacrifice himself to do so if necessary, because that is the right thing to do. There is a fantastic monologue. He delivers right at the end 
because what happens is he just turns off his own cortical node to force the issue to make everybody accept that he wants to do the Starfleet thing, which has put himself in danger to save someone else in this case, seven of nine and just lays it all out in front of everybody to say, you know, captain, you can't tell me no. Cause you do this shit to us every time you answer a fucking distress call, literally what he says. Right. And seven, you keep telling me, I can't, I have to stop relying on you. You need to start relying on all of us. Like you ha you gotta stop being such a bitch and learn that we all love you. Dial down the bitch. Yeah, but we all care about you and we all want to help you. The doctor wanted to help you, turned him off. The the, the captain wants to help you, have push her away. I want to help you, you deny me the opportunity. Fuck that, I'm helping you and you have to accept it. And it's a great speech, it's a great moment. It shows how much each ep wants to be a start like embody the Starfleet ideal, how much he cares about seven of nine as a as a mentor a parental figure a friend a friend and uh when we next see each have after voyager is getting disassembled and then gets mercy murdered by seven of nine and that's it that's the end of it and then they dress up and then they uh dress like a bunch of french pirates pirates yeah and uh yeah it's 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 why that moment was so gut-wrenching to me when i saw it is because this episode happened and i knew what they were referencing and i'm like holy shit where are they going with this that is such that's a, such a heavy thing and then it's just it's just to set up stakes seven of nine just so seven of nine can justifiably kill this lady later that's two guns yeah um the cool <clears throat> well, i don't know if it's cool the interesting thing here is you've got two people coming from a shared past, uh, children that were assimilated and have grown up in the collective. And on one hand, you have Icheb who is doing all the things you just mentioned, wanting to get involved in Starfleet, to formalize his place within the crew, to take the entrance exam, to be a cadet, uh, so on and so on. And you've got Seven of Nine who wants none of that. Um, he even mentions to her, like, hey, you know, you, you could get your commission, too. And she's like, no, uh, I've I've had enough Starfleet. And I suppose it makes sense for her, like, why bother wearing the uniform when you get to stand on the bridge for free, you know? Like, also, Egypt is obviously younger. He's supposed to be a teenager. He's being played by somebody in his early 20s. But younger, clearly, than Seven. And... So he has a certain idealism and a certain still part of his of his personality that is, was unformed. And that's made it easier for him to adapt outside of the Borg, right? Like, which makes sense if you understand kids and how kids learn things and how easy it is for them to be molded mm. as, a, you know, at early ages. The idea that, okay, each ship's having an easier time turning into a person. And seven of nine who is much more set in her ways because she spent her adulthood as in being a borg uh and so she's just kind of more over things kind of more not idealistic not really wanting to like be involved in something that would be in service oriented right she's more interested in things that she likes things that she wants to do because not listening to rules shooting guns indoors she wants to do her thing Whereas Ichab wants to be like, has more idealism to him because he's younger. 
mm-hmm. um, that all tracks. And this this episode portrays that difference in a way that makes a lot of sense. Also, it shows how far Egypt's come. Like, he's more clear-sighted in this episode than most of the quote-unquote adults. And they, they, they pay that off in an appropriate way. Yeah. Because um, he's able to, you know, see the code. You know, like, he's not stuck in a lane when it comes to what you know the doctor uh the captain and seven of nine herself ultimately represents yeah he he is the wild card for this episode seven is denying how bad her situation is she falls back to her regeneration alcove gets in and uh they're like sorry your plug doesn't fit anymore and she's like what do you mean and they go uh well we're not using micro usb anymore You're, you're you're old and busted and usb c or bust get out yeah <laughs> get that usb mini out of here serial port what are you talking about she ends up in uh the mess hall pulling an all-nighter drinking and i quote protein extract <laughs> glasses of protein extract which look a lot like some very lewd <laughs> You can just say milk. <laughs> like, you don't have to go there. You ever wanted to see Seven of Nine drink three glasses of sperm? This is the episode for you. Jesus. One Borg, three cups, all right? Um, <laughs> There's your title. Boom! <laughs> I uh, This is where Neelix enters the scene, and he actually gets used a little bit more than usual, which is to say usually not at all mm-hmm. <laughs> in this episode. Uh, in an, in the appropriate way, where he is the morale officer. Seven of Nine ends up passing out after drinking all of that sperm and and winds <laughs> up back in... Hey, you started this. <laughs> winds up back in sickbay. And to cheer her up and to to hang out with her, uh, Neelix brings like a Cotiscot board and, and flowers and is like, oh, you know, we're going to spruce up your area. I brought, I brought space checkers classic neelix oh what someone's stuck in the hospital let me go burglar their home and see what i can't drag in here to to spruce the place up with i guess when you're sleeping in the cargo bay though (laughs) (laughs) sorry seven i was going through the cargo bay to find something i had to you know i didn't want to bring your your favorite gun so i saw phaser rifles and some roaches some burned out (laughs) joint roaches uh joe carey left behind before he died at some point you got a seven of nine executed him after he got done counting all the rifles yeah well it's a good send-off she he had that look of realization of like didn't i hit on you in space doc mm-hmm. <laughs> strikes uh so now you know this starts the sword of damocles really hold swinging over her head uh janeway gets involved and the cards kind of get, get laid out on the table that uh, she's broken and they're going to need to replace this part. And there's no point in trying to fix it. And if it was happened in the collective, they just swap the part out. So luckily enough for Voyager, um, not too long ago, they flew by some space debris uh, of uh, Borg wreckage. And when you really think about, well, I guess Scorpion part two, Kess was still with the crew and then she, she bopped him forward. 10 years after that so i guess you wouldn't really see that much 
space debris of blown up cubes courtesy of uh, Species 8472, right? In this part of space, anyways. I mean, you could assume, I suppose, since they don't really give a reason why it got blown up, that it's a casualty of the Civil War. We did just see a Borg Civil War start, hypothetically, last Listening episode. to that episode and thinking <laughs> about the opportunity that J- Janeway arguing with the Borg Queen as the Borg Queen just casually blew up spheres and cubes. Janeway got more Borg assets destroyed with a stubborn conversation than the Federation was able to accomplish in Wolf 359 and Sector 001 combined. That was two fucking cubes. And Janeway was able to the scale of Voyager is just so fucking bonkers. And again, it's... it just makes Jamie look so dumb. Like, just, I, I mean, how many more casualties could she have caused simply by going, nah-uh, nah-uh, nah-uh? Yeah, so all the sudden desire to save Borg lives, like individual drone lives. I mean, we'll, we'll, Awful. We get another taste of that here, because they go to the, the, the Borg debris field. Well, hold on. Before they do that... They're they're getting ready to to pop off, and we get our traditional Janeway Chakotay like, you can't leave mommy unless you take a crew with you, and and she ends up saddled with um, what Paris and uh, Tuvok I think. Yeah, Tom's like I need to fly the the ship for you, and Tuvok's like I also want to apparently get schwacked by the Borg again. I'm super <laughs> into it. Hey. I- <laughs> You decide. It, 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 I don't know if you like change the passwords this time or not, but Jesus. Right. Yes. Yes. Like, hey, Benedict Arnold, how about you just chill out on the fucking bridge here for a second? What I wanted to call attention was Chakotay looking fit. Yeah. Like, I, Chakotay found a box full of leftover push-ups that Roxanne Dawson didn't. <laughs> like, oh, these are only like four years old. Well, hold on. Oh wait, <laughs> we're, uh-huh. we're looking good. Is he, like, trying to get another boxing episode? He's like, listen, guys, I promise I'll be in shape this time, all right? Well, I, you know, it's more like, oh, this show's coming to an end. I gotta go look good <laughs> for my headshots for whatever comes after. But yeah, man, Beltran looking fit. So uh, they get back on the Delta Flyer, which they make mention, like, hey, the last time you flew the Delta Flyer, you got it blown up. But, like, no mention of, hey, we rebuilt the world, the universe's best shuttlecraft again from the ground up. So this is where the continuity error of this being aired out of order uh, comes up. Literally, the next episode was supposed to be a, the second episode, not this one. Mm. The next episode is the one where they introduce having rebuilt the Delta Flyer. Are the kids in any of those episodes? No. That kid, and, and that's why I think they decided to air it out of order and not care because the kids don't appear in anything else. This was their last appearance, no matter what. So it's Mm. really the Delta flyer being in this episode. That is the continuity error because they haven't technically rebuilt it yet, but whatever. (laughs) We'll see that when we see that. Um, so yeah, they beam over to a Borg cube, which does not, it's funny. The Borg, cube that they get onto that's just dilapidated and looks like total ass looks like better Borg interior shots than yeah because it's all fucked up it looks different it doesn't look so samey looks kind of it's like a piece of a Borg cube that has atmosphere still they go over and their their plan is to harvest a cortical node out of an intact drone and they they find a 
uh, a possible donor. And that's when we see for the first time the combination practical digital effect that they fell in love with in this episode, <laughs> which is apparently the cortical node comes out of a little hidey hole that's in your forehead. So you go, you see Janeway go through the whole process of cutting the skin off, peeling that off, putting it in the box, very it, carefully keeping that for her collection of Borg skin, like gold member. And then like using a little tool to get the little green thing to pop out of the forehead. It's actually well done. There's it's a digital effect with a practical piece. Um, worked out super well, given that it's 2000 era CGI. Also, uh, props to the space fight that's about to prop uh to happen. Yes. I thought that was dope as hell. Yes, because uh, what happens is a bunch of unknown aliens that looked a little Kazon esque. Yes, show up and are like, "These are our Borg that we want to salvage." And Janeway's like, "I will kill you with a plasma torch." <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if it's good enough for Jonas to try and kill uh, Neelix with, it's good enough for you, uh, space junker. I love these guys. I love the concept of uh, scavengers going after Borg wreckage, like talk, you know, more fucking Picard parallels. You know, Borg tech's valuable and it's just laying around. Again, Next Gen left me under the impression that when... uh, drones die they disintegrate or maybe they were just getting beamed off by the cube back on the ship but uh, i would say at this point voyagers pretty firmly established that borg stuff can break down and it's still uh able to be scavenged but uh i love they show up there's no real introduction to what they are just like hey this is ours and as you put it janeway has no time for diplomacy it's right into a fucking headlock Uh, (laughs) a a screwdriver to the neck uh tuvok starts shooting from the fucking hip dropping fools and then there's this long awkward pause where he waits for someone else to shoot him back luckily these space pirates don't have kill settings on their phasers or his ass would be gone they have this neat moment where janeway like covers the briefcase that's got the thing they came for as they get beamed out by tom and uh, the the guy's like trying to sh- like you know shoot her in the head with the the gun just as she gets beamed out. It's all well well put together and on the uh, on the cube. It's good scene, good sequence. Yep. And then you get back to the to the Delta Flyer where they have the space dog fight. Really good CG, very well done. All new shots, looks fantastic. It's basically a Tie Fighter versus an X Wing, uh, and. Tom's there, like piloting the ship with his joysticks, and he's like barking orders at the captain, like get your tactical, and he's just shoot these guys. I know that two box over there bleed now because he just got blasted, but you need to get on the guns. Um, and then Janeway says yes, sir, to Tom, like half sarcastically. It's actually pretty funny. Well, look, Tuvox clearly unconscious, so they can let their bedroom talk come out in public. It's this is a safe space now. Yeah. As stupid as Voyager looked fighting the tactical cube flying around and swooping around like the Delta Flyer actually looks pretty tight zipping around Borg wreckage fighting with space pirates like cool stuff that should be happening all the time yet uh, unfortunately for Voyager is pretty rare so yeah I I was right with you the the fight on the cube good and then the dog fight outside of it even better yeah 
they they get the, the the goods back to Voyager, and start to assess getting the thing into Seven of Nine. You get a whole scene where they're trying to do the operation, and again we see the same shot of the the forehead opening up to put it in. Yes, and, uh, a, a practical effect so nice they had to use it six times. Uh, it, they need it, to show you this practical effect like all of these actors need a hole in their head. I will say I will say that there was probably more in close shots of this effect than there were shots of Jerry Ryan's ass in this episode, and that is quite a feat. When you're in love with something more than that, because the the very famously we have pointed out that the Voyager cinematographers shoot everything close except when Jerry Ryan's on screen, and then suddenly they're shooting wide. They I are don't know. Let's... In love with doing that. Let's talk about that real quick. I don't feel like I've really had that clubbed over my head recently. I don't know if I've just become desensitized to it or if they've legit chilled out. I, I it's, think it's that you're desensitized to it because Stevie was wa- watched a couple of scenes of her recently and is like, yep, there she is. All of her glory. I, we just we've know, seen man. it so many times. We're not picking up on it anymore. I feel like the camera used to be like right in on her boobs, like nipple level all the time. And I, I'll have to start paying attention moving forward. I, I kind of felt like we subtly grew away from that gratuitous angle. No, I don't know. They really I will didn't. have to research and watch more pictures. Yeah, of you'll Jerry go really Ryan's closely, boobs. very closely to detect if they're if they're I'll go back still to pandering. that mess hall scene again of her drinking her protein extracts. There you go. Uh, we get a cool little... That's your s- fetish. <laughs> Probably a chunk of the internet. <laughs> Seven's being real stank about the position she's in and uh, Neelix when he shows up with this space checkerboard, which we've established she likes playing. It's like, hey, let's take your mind off of work and and kind of chill out while we wait for the away team to get back with uh, the cannibalized board goods. And she's like, no. And then we get this cute little scene with the doctor where he's like, Neelix, you know, you can't take her on in her weakened state. You'll trounce her and like <laughs> totally just baits her into this um this this pride fueled match of uh space chest or whatever i mean we know that works on seven that's how uh tom got her on the the ping pong team oh yeah uh, yeah 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 when uh when the captain braxton adventure the time adventure (laughs) was gonna break out it was the you know uh, it's fine you know torres didn't think you were very good anyway (laughs) like (laughs) good call good 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 call out joe i forgot about that um away team shows back up they've got the scavenged um borg doodad uh, and we pick up into a scene where we've got the captain and tom and the doctor performing the surgery yes yeah, it's, it's where we were in our conversation before we got distracted by talking about jerry ryan's ass anyway um it's revealed to be uh a simulation they're doing on the holodeck and it's not working uh, they, she keeps dying every time they try to put this thing in and they come to the conclusion that unless it's super fresh out of a drone, it's not good. Can't use a can't use a dead drone's cortical node. Uh, it will not work. It has to be fresh off the vine, which Janeway's like, oh, let me go murder a, another drone real quick. You know, I'll just like I'll just cap him right in the in the Tuvix memorial corner, you know. Where that's where we do our that's where we do our deeds here. It's where we do our executions, and then we'll just yank that bad boy out. And the doctor's like, "That's terrible." <laughs> like, please don't. I, 
listen, Jamie, you got to pick a side. Either you're okay with Rando Borg dying or you're not. Uh, EMH, either you're okay with mass genociding people or you're not. People keep switching sides here, and I, I don't know what truth to believe. Like, this, I believe, is the correct portrayal of Janeway where the Borg are just mindless zombies. And yeah, if you got to kill one to get some go juice for your buddy, do it. But, uh, and, and why wouldn't you? I mean, you've clowned the Borg time and time again. There's no reason not to believe you can't just, just send Tom with a phaser rifle, stick him up, you mm-hmm. know, like he's the outlaw Josie Wales. <laughs> Roll out. It's good. I, before they established that it was, you know, um, interview with a vampire you can't drink old blood right Mm -hmm. Uh, i figured well maybe these borg are actually made by sony and everything's proprietary in there you can't just move pieces in between them (laughs) oh no it's an iphone (laughs) (laughs) oh you can't use the ac adapter from that sony model on the other one that's a big barrel you need a small so now they're in a real pickle right Uh, for whatever reason they they avoid the fact of just going and hunting down some wayward Borg to man, if only we still had the Bajorn Starfleet former quartet she, member. She'd have been long dead by now though. Listen, we're doing stuff out of order, all right? I just saw that the Delta Flyer was back and with no mention of making time has no meaning in Voyager. She could have just been off in some cryostasis chamber waiting for a good episode to to exit on. And she could have been the one to offer up her uh cortical stimulator as a as a dying wish. But instead that honor is going to fall to Echep, who is finally made aware of what's going on with seven and nine. Uh, when Janeway's about to zip off on the Delta flyer and goes, Hey, listen, kid, before I fly off, um, you should know mommy is super sick with the space cancer and probably going to die, but we're going to go scavenge this old cube. Like I thought her leaving him behind was real stupid. Like if you've got a Borg expert, or a former Borg, like, why not bring him out and endanger him in what could have been a hilarious fight with with some space pirates? I I completely understand not taking him with on the retrieval, but, like, not having him part of the, like, let's try and make this thing work. Why don't we talk to the next best person when it comes to understanding Borg physiology? Then, you know, Seven of Nine, the Doctor, and then Ichab, literally in that order. Uh, that That part... I disagree with considering obviously that in the background, apparently each is in fact that kind of genius and works out his own solution as we already discussed, which is, Oh, take mine. I'm young enough that I'll just live. If you just help me with a little gene therapy to make my body reassert itself, I'll be okay. Um, but you know, that's, that's the point. They about... gotta, they gotta, they gotta set him up to school everybody, which I get, and that actually pays off so well. I don't mind the inconsistency and in not including him. He starts pushing this genetic recent, re, re, genetic resequencing agenda, and I'm like, man, like father, like son, doing Crowley proud over here with a you talk a genetic wonder, wonder drugs. Um, the options laid out on the table very curiously omitted the one which was and you know would have just been gunned down and maybe they should have put it in there anyways just for seven to kind of show her growth but reintegrate her with the collective right die on uh the the med bay table 
uh, or go back to the collective where you can be reassimilated and uh, repaired and live. Uh, but no mention of that whatsoever. I think it's correct not to go back to that well, though. Like, yes, they didn't bring it up. It seems inconsistent with the last time we've had this exact question. But maybe that's the point. Like, we had that question. Choice was made. Why go back over that question again? You know? Like, we've established that being assimilated is worse than dying. So you would choose death. Sure. Right? Like, I, I, I get that. And that's part of the discussion that seven has like you know though she gets finally to the i have to come to terms with my condition right i have to come to terms that i have a terminal illness and i'm gonna start to cope with that by turning the doctor off and i'm gonna go someplace else i don't want to fucking deal with being sick day and if there's one place to go the happiest place on voyager gotta go to the engine core man she 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 leaves her gap behind and she goes to uh the memorial jonas death walkway to slash tom balana dry hump loft it's true where they got caught by vorek if i recall (laughs) no no it was tuvok and um they have a cool moment where balana's like eh (laughs) they're all trying to look for you uh don't worry i'm not gonna snitch (laughs) like i also hate the doctors (laughs) like i made him watch his daughter die (laughs) we all have our ways of getting back at him (laughs) and uh you know, they've had a rivalry. We meme on it because of the frequent workplace violence, but <laughs> when know, she like, shows up to like work and actually do productive, non uh, active shooter things, does she have to walk into engineering with her hands up? They're like, guys, it's all right. I come in peace. Uh, but I love they, this scene. It's it's been yeah. a long time since we've seen uh, a chill, cool, casual Bellano that isn't saddled with Tom Paris being dead weight in a scene um and and seeing knowing seven's feeling very vulnerable here and uh, you know previously it had always been blana who saddled with a terminal illness many as she even points out in this many times you know it's been her up on the operating table with some big heavy rubber puppet stuck to her face trying to kill her forcing her to be operated on by evil holograms and whatnot against her will which Stands in a very stark contrast. Jane over there, I can't make Seven do something she doesn't want. Since when? Like, you forced Bellana through, like, three non-consensual sur- uh, surgeries. <laughs> why, why can't you steal the... I don't, I don't even... I'm trying to come up with something funny to call this corticals. Like, I, what are those little six-hour energy drinks? I mean, you know, is this a, like, a, like a bang energy drink? <laughs> <laughs> I like monster. to keep... I keep my Red Bulls in my forehead for easy consumption. I agree that there are some inconsistencies in the continuity from the perspective that the the captain has proven in the past she's willing to overwrite people's medical wishes. I guess this is specifically endangering another person, right? Like telling Bolana she has to accept a surgery that was developed by a war criminal is a little different than uh, I'm going to make seven accept endangering each life. That's a different, that's where saying like, if you say no, I'm okay with that makes way more sense than Bolana just kind of being weird about 
well, Space Mangala came up with this, or you, sh you know, and she's like, no, I'd rather die. Like, really? He's well, not actually tie... here. <laughs> let's let's tie it into another Balana on the deathbed scenario, which was Barge of the Dead. Uh, and that ties into this scene for multiple reasons as well. It was another situation where Balana wanted to do something that the uh, captain was forbidding. Although in that instance, she was able to plead her case because, you know, she had to go to the definitive Ronald Moore uh, confirmation of afterlife to save her mother from a dishonorable afterlife, right? Correct. Yes. Ron Moore. Ron Moore is the opposite of uh, whoever, of whoever wrote the uh, afterlife episode for Neelix, who was greeted only by uncertainty and depression. And very scary images of uh, Tal what, what the hell was his sister's name? Isn't Talaxia? Elixia? Elixia? Elixia, let's take Alexa, but it was, yeah. She had a little sharp needle teeth. Female Talaxians are terrifying. Nasty, yeah. Na nasty things. Um, but in that one, I would say Bolana got some pretty solid, or had a pretty solid belief that, yes, uh, Stovacor and anti-Stovacor are real places. Yet, when asked about the afterlife concerns, uh, Bolana seems a little unsure, confirming that she has gone back into her character loop beginning yet again. Yeah, uh, like I've, I am literally the only person on this ship who has actually visited their culture's afterlife and can verify it is true. Yeah, <laughs> like come on. Uh, I don't know. I was also thinking, like, why does she have to go to Stovacor? Why couldn't she go to heaven? Some funny you how, bring that up that was actually let's just say it's come up in trek before like which afterlife do you go to if you have any just a little bit of anything other than human you do not get to go to heaven heaven is very exclusive to yeah humans. very racist very <laughs> racist saint peter is a piece of shit i'm sorry <laughs> do i sense one sixteenth klingon get the fuck out of here mm -hmm, get on your goddamn viking rowboat whatever the fuck <laughs> they're doing over there <laughs> Oh, Barge of the Dead, you piece of shit. <laughs> uh, but we also have a revisit to the idea of what's Borg afterlife. And I forget what episode they brought it in previously, but like, yeah, drones might die, but they're still on the network and their memories are never forgotten. And in that, uh, we live forever. I think it was one of the early seven of nine episodes um, because that was one of the things that was kind of tripping her up initially was that that certainty of uh existence had been taken away from her and it was another kind of stumbling block on her rumspringer that was to end an individual individuality there's also a scene when she is in astrometrics and is uh looking over like earth geography as she contemplates the idea like i'm not gonna make it to uh earth you know so i'm kind of looking at pictures of it wistfully captain comes in pulls up a a picture of bloomington indiana <laughs> which is not a windswept barren snow wasteland for once which it, which it is like 11 months out of the year like it, it i i don't know what it is about bloomington indiana that it, it is a desperate tundra way more than the climate would suggest but it's just kind of it's engineered to be terrible if we have any fans in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm sorry. You should move. <laughs> uh, there is a 
So I the idea funny. that she's looking at pictures is so preposterous to me. Like you've got a holodeck, you could be there living in these things. Like, yeah, you but, could be literally walking the Grand Canyon right now. The, the there's a scene here where they start talking about the deaths that Janeway has decided to accept, quote unquote, as part of the price of going home. An interesting thought, right? Like Janeway decided to not stop at the first M class planet, as she notes, and decided to try and get home. And she's doing it in a bragging way to saying, we're shit, we're getting close. Like we're getting there. We're making this happen. And then seven's quick counter is, and that has cost you and you have accepted that cost and pulls up, a casualty list. She actually rolls off a couple names, which are casualties we've seen on screen. So Ensign Kaplan was the Ensign who died in unity. Uh, the uh, Borg cooperative episode who we actually like, liked Not her. like a boss. Yeah. Like we liked her character. And we're like, Oh, this poor red shirt's going to die, but I like her. <laughs> and then she just gets got immediately in the episode. Like a hobo flamethrower. And then uh, Lindsay Ballard, the uh, Harry's Canadian girlfriend gets a, a shout out here as someone who died on in the uh, service of duty. Um, the rest of the names on the list are all references to the West Wing. So if you look at the list, it's Commander J. Bartlett, Lieutenant Commander L. McGra- uh, McGarry, Lieutenant Commander T. Ziegler. These, you know, Toby Ziegler. Uh, Leo McGarry, uh, Jeb Bartlett. These are all characters from the West Wing. I remember seeing that because I loved the West Wing. I was in college at this point um, and or I was almost in college. I was watching the West Wing. I thought that show was great. And looking at the fact that all of the names on this list are copied from an Easter egg of another show. And it was such a weird fourth wall break. It was like the first time I noticed an Easter egg like that in a TV show. Fuck that shit, man. I don't watch West Wing. Where's my Hogan? Where's yeah. my Lon Suter? All right. Where's yeah. the names I care about? Who else why, we got in there? Why, why, yeah, it's it, the oh, there's only the two names that are mentioned in dialogue are correct. There's Timothy Lang is one that's met, is listed, who, who is a name of someone who we've seen, but we did not see die on camera. Is but this yeah. uh, Chakotay's old mining friend that he got in a it lot was of some extra? With? It was some background extra that like just what about the guy that at some point ensign bowl cut who fell into the the spider mouth down on uh volcano dinosaur island with uh with neelix and hogan yeah this instead of doing a stupid west wing joke this should have actually been the list of the people we've seen die wouldn't have been hard to do either like we've got names for most of them invent names for the others what put the fuck? nick lacarno on there too man why, why yeah, stop like there? why put sam seaborn on there like rob Lowe doesn't need your help <laughs> nice to see ballard get a little bit more mileage for someone who was theoretically supposed to be so important um i was i was more proud of the fact kaplan was on there probably our favorite like extra who got aced aside from fred durst <laughs> yeah durst yeah it's funny that there's been so few deaths actually on Voyager. And again, I, I think they should have killed more people. They should have more people uh, come up along the way. But um, this kind of shakes Janeway. And I always enjoy the scenes where it's Seven and Janeway and Seven starts popping her mouth off and uh, knocks Janeway down a few smug rungs. 
while this is going on, we've had different scenes of Icheb pleading his case with different people about the the treatment he's developed. First with Seven of Nine, then with the Doctor, uh, and then after this scene, Nastrometrics is when there's the implied scene where it's explained to the captain by the doctor with each present to say, this could work. We could actually save her life. This has a really good chance. And seven of nine just flatly refuses because she clearly does not want to put each in danger. And that's when each does the rebellious teenage thing of, well, I know better. So uh, let me go ahead and just make this work the way I want to. And uh, turns his own cortical note off using the alcove and forces the situation uh, and lays his great speech out where he makes seven of nine accept the help that he's given. And it's a great moment. It's a fantastic uh, emotional and perfectly Trek kind of thing where we have this character who we've become slowly accustomed to and acquainted with who's, who's adopting the ideal who's, who's decided I want to take this risk to save your life and you're not going to stop me from doing it. And uh, the the surgery works. They get to do the shot two more times, and uh, you got you got Tom helping with the surgeries. You know, it's okay. Get, Someone else can fly the ship, right? You got to get yeah. your best nurse in there. And uh, of course, it works. And uh, we end where we started in the teaser, where Seven is extremely relieved uh, that Ichib has survived uh, with a uh, a smile on her face of of pride at the the young man that each of has become but you know each is concerned because she, she's crying again this time it's because she's legitimately having an emotional moment and uh it's a good note to leave the episode on yeah this is a hard one to talk about because there's not a lot of funny low budget points um it, it's it's a well-crafted voyager episode it's a solid uh script the acting's all good the stakes are more intense for different reasons like obviously they weren't ever going to kill off seven of nine but the groundwork they lay here creates very real repercussions down the line because of uh the series that will not be named uh and yeah the the whole thing comes off smooth so very nice start so far to the non the uh, afterbirth of season sucks was what we were left with last week. This is the first kind of fresh, fresh taste start that we get out of season seven. And it's good. And, you know, taking Picard out of the equation for a second, because I think you have to on a certain level. Uh, this is a great episode of Voyager because it tells a story about the, the characters we've gotten to, to know. And it allows them to grow and to evolve and to demonstrate how far they've come. And do it in a very trek way that plays to the uh two strengths that i think trek storytelling has which is create a story you can identify with by having a very real problem that isn't like too remote right like too science fictiony like dealing with it's terminal accessible illness. To yeah it's accessible yeah, exactly accessible terminal illness story very accessible and then you do the trek stuff on top of it to make it interesting and then, like you said, he spent some money, he got some good effects, he had some good space dog fighting, everyone did well with their performances. This is an altogether well-crafted episode, and it is only weighed down by the implication of what came after. I see 
I'm sad to see the other board kids go, but I see now why they did it. Um, this episode is about graduating Icheb from the children's table and making him part of the main crew now. Right. And that's uh, Janeway even says it as much that, you know, uh, today he just became an adult. And with him getting these Starfleet aspirations, like I can see them starting to mainline Icheb into main plot lines. And, and you're not going to have to worry about the, the younger children board kind of saddling him back uh, in this kid capacity. He's, they, they've kicked him out of the nest, right? I mean, it makes perfect sense for them to decide to do this rather than have... You can really tell the kids being cared for stories so many times, right? Like, they kind of they hit that, I think, enough to, to make the point that they wanted to make. Uh, and instead, they wanted to utilize the the angle that they started to develop specifically here and yeah they do a good job of doing that and then you know we get i think we end up with more each in this season than we did in season six overall i think there might be like six more episodes with him in it uh in this in this season hey you might give uh neelix a run for the money then it's true (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, he, um, yeah, they, they, they take this in a, in a different direction. And I, I also, uh, really enjoy it. Cool. Moving on. We are going to be going into season seven, episode three drive. We got Janeway and, uh, I don't know who else it is, but then you got Tom and Bellana in some very fetching brand new uniforms. With Janeway's approval, Paris enters the Delta Flyer into an interspecies light speed shuttle race held as a peace celebration. Those those uniforms are actually kind of one of those like Why didn't they use it more? Yeah, like they made this uniform as like these flight suits for this episode, and you're like, these are fucking cool. Why why are these never used? What's wrong with you? If you're not gonna use those again, why not just bust out the fucking trash bags from Alice and put them in that? Gross. <laughs> <laughs> we will see everyone next week when we drive. See ya.